Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, episode 145, 100. 45, the 150's coming up soon, Mark. We'll have to Some, same. We'll have to do something. Something special. Something special must happen. It is Friday, July the 17th, 2020, and it's it's all happening here, Mark. Everybody's getting stuck into Victoria, our state, aren't they, Mark, with the, the rise in the COVID in, in infection cases, the number of cases, and the I don't know whether you are, but people call it Sictoria, Mark, instead of Victoria. <laughs> Sictoria, they're saying. Um, so we're in lockdown, as we mentioned last week, and I think people are getting a tad stir crazy. Which reminds me, I've got to tell you a little, a little funny story about <laughs> Annette's mother, my wife's mother, um, and his sister Diane um, suffers from vertigo um, occasionally and she had a bit of a bout of it over the last few days so you know she'd be standing up and getting a bit um, teetering and and tottering and um, having to sit down or even lie down again and she just has to ride it through and get over it and um, just by just by resting and uh, and he was speaking to her mum and her mum said oh your sister's not too well your sister Diane's not too well um, she's got problems with libido, <laughs> and um, and he just couldn't stop laughing in hysterics. Said, "Mum, and 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 it's mum, as you know, is um, her first language is Italian, and she still struggles a little bit with English. So, mum, it's not libido. Libido means when you're having problems with your sex drive. Um, and Annie's mum's um, mid mid eighties also." So she's quite embarrassed about it. Um, vertigo, not libido, Mark. So don't get those mixed up. And that's something you need to pass on to your son, who's training to be a doctor. And um, he certainly doesn't want to mix those two um, conditions up, does he? I, I, I fully expect he'll be focusing much more on surgery than areas of medicine that um, that he gets to work with vertigo or libido. <laughs> Yes, so there you go. Um, it, it was so, my so laugh I'll, for the week. Well, here's another one for you. <laughs> in Victoria, they may be calling it Sictoria, but in the rest of Australia, we've been saying that uh, um, uh, our country, we're, we're the country version of the Spice Girls because we're a place where uh, Victoria's making us all look bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think some of our younger, um, younger <laughs> listeners may not even get that joke, mate. <laughs> Um, so yes, um, yes. Well, enough of the puns. Um, I have a review, Mark. I did promise a review this week, and it is a book. It's a short book, um, which is good because I managed to finish it. And it is called Night Walks, as in walking, uh, by Charles Dickens, the Charles Dickens. And it's basically, it was, I found it quite fascinating. I saw a little review on it somewhere and um, I thought that would be interesting and it's a series of basically short essays um, from Dickens about his about his walks um, and the first chapter is called the title of the book Night Walks when he had a period where he was an insomniac and he used to wander around London 
all night um, and that cured his insomnia um, after he'd been doing that for a few few weeks, I think. Um, so he talks a bit about what he came across um, during his walks during the, what I think it was, 1870s or so, 1850s. And um, the other chapters are fascinating. Um, he'd, he'd just drop in. He'd just wander around London and drop into some of the poorer districts and um, look at the abject poverty there and knock on people's doors and have a bit of a chat to them and see, you know, um, a family of six living in one room and, and all they would eat for the whole day was be a piece of bread and, and um, a bit of boiled water um, made up as a as a week's soup. And it, it was just, um, um, you can see where he got his, his, um, his um, I was going to say, um, um, what would you call it? The inspiration is probably not the right word, is it, Mark? Um, for some of his um, books, um, but I found it very fascinating this read, and um, I think it'd be a very tough time to live in um, in London during the late eighteen hundreds. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Mark, um, and it's a little book that I'd recommend. A bit depressing, um, although he did come across a hospital at one stage and um, it was a surgeon who worked in one of the bigger London hospitals who decided to start up a little hospital for the poor, for children um, and with his wife who was a nurse at the um, bigger London hospital and um, they looked after little children um, and it was mainly malnutrition um, and related problems and sicknesses and they just fed them up and and made them better and sent them back home. Um, so there was a few success stories with that. So there was a little bit of an, an uplifting um, chapter or two in there, Mark, but um, that's what I've read and that's my review. Nothing to do with veterinary science, but I think it's important that we do get stuck into other subjects and we um, have a bit of downtime, don't we? No, we don't have any downtime. But well, if, you if, don't at the moment. If we you ever don't at the moment, if we ever did. Oh, but I've got good news on that front. Quickly before we get into our uh, news stories and my my score mark, you yeah, my score, and I and I've I found a new program that calculates, um, and you put in all these different different um, variables, and it calculates a score, and it came up with guess what. 8.6 out of 10. I don't know how it did it. 8.6 out of 10. Yeah, very good. Night walks, and I will link to it. Very easy reading. Um, it takes you probably half of the first essay or chapter to get into the the style of, of the writing um, from that era. But um, if you're even slightly interested in that sort of region or area or timeline then i suggest you purchase it did you um did you learn any new words um i did uh i'll have to look it up um okay. the chapter the, there was that's, a word that that's yes, your homework. yes i love that I, mean, books. I will i will come back next week um i've just lost the name of it um and i did look it up i did look it up but I no I'll, I'll get back to you while you are um on your monologue shortly, which I'm sure you will be, um, I will try and find it in the book. Otherwise, I will report back on it next week. It's good that you've got some homework, Brendan. Yes. Speaking of homework, both my girls are off, um, have finished. Um, and for our listeners, Mark, um, as we mentioned last week, Jane's finished her course, um, her university course, and Sophie's still on holiday, which is good. So how's 
um, I briefly mentioned um, one of your sons. How are they doing, Mark? They're both. It's. Uh, I think just like all of us, the restrictions of coronavirus are uh, making study that little bit harder. And I think they're both, you know, going okay, but just struggling with aspects of it. They're not uh, as close to the end as your wonderful daughters, but um, but they're going okay. <coughs> all good on the study front. Excellent. Now you wonder, did did you have something else you were going to say, or I've completely blanked your mind on yeah, it? No. Or do you want to jump, jump into, into your news. news story? Yes, and I, I, this this story uh, first. There's several things about this story that I uh, really love. So this is uh, why cats are more have more lives than dogs when it comes to snake bite, and so it uh, is an, uh, a short uh, magazine style article which discusses. The fact that when, particularly with uh, our uh, eastern brown snake, um, which is estimated to be responsible across all of Australia, here locally we only see them occasionally, uh, but across all of Australia about 76% of reported domestic pet snake bites are are attributed to the eastern brown, and um, it's a deadly snake. Um, it uh, is definitely responsible for uh, human fatalities, and um, and in the veterinary facility, it's a, a, a life threatening emergency when a dog or a cat comes in bitten by one of these guys. But interestingly enough, one of my favourite uh, venomologists, Professor Brian Fry, and um, and his uh, PhD student Christina Zdenek, we've had a discussion about Christina's surname. We. we We'll need some advice on that later. Yes, we do. Um, but they uh, discovered that um, while only 31% of dogs survive being bitten by an eastern brown without antivenom, cats are twice as likely to survive, um, and more than twice as likely, 66% they estimate. Um, so... And, and that uh, survival rate's uh, um, consistent after the use of antivenom as well. So um, the cats really have a little bit of a head start. Um, and the researchers looked at the speed with which um, venom acted on in vitro uh, dog plasma and found and cat plasma and found that the venoms invariably, all venoms from uh, 10 different types of snakes from around the world, all worked much faster on uh, dogs than they did on cats. Um, and this indicates that the dogs would likely enter a state where blood clotting fails sooner um, and therefore they are much more vulnerable to these types of snake venoms. Um, I, I was fascinated by this article, Brendan. Um, I uh, We definitely see Eastern Browns um, uh, in our area and we see the animals that are bitten by them. Um, and we definitely notice the same thing, that cats do seem to have a, a, a resilience to these bites um, that dogs do not. Do you guys see these species down there? Sorry, I'm trying to find that word. (laughs) Yes, I found one of the other words that fascinated me, Mark. Um, So I'll get back to your question in a second. And it was cockloft. Have you heard of cockloft? No, I have not. 
You haven't. It fascinated me when I read that. And it is a small upper loft under the ridge of a roof. That's all it is, Mark. Um, so don't think nice. of anything sleazy or funny about it, Mark. It's a cock loft. And um, I've, I have seen a fair few houses with cock lofts, I must admit, Mark, over my years. I just didn't realise it. Yes. So it's amazing some of these Dickensian terms that um, I found in that little book there, Mark. It's a gem. It is a gem. Um, so, what were you saying? Species. Yes. Do you see the? Do you see uh, which which snakes do you see there that end up biting the local dogs and cats? In our region, yeah. it's probably I haven't seen one for years, actually, um, or I probably have, but I haven't diagnosed it. Um, it is tiger snakes um, yes. in our area, but. Yes, um, and the other the other big one across um, other regions of the Melbourne metropolitan area is is probably the Browns, um, but tigers um, are the ones that we we see in our region. Yes, they're pretty. The tiger snakes are pretty. Um, uh, they they have they get onto that urban fringe and often into backyards as well. They're pretty um, uh, um, out there, extroverted snakes. Yes, yes. I must admit, I have a bit of a soft spot for the tiger snakes, and I have seen a reasonable number of them as as um, as um, pets, Mark, that are kept as pets um, from my clients. And um, yeah, although some of the clients that have kept them um, are probably not quite as smart as the snakes um, that they keep um, is probably the best way to put it. Um, my new story, Mark, which is my only new story, is about um, rats that are starving um, and rats during the COVID outbreak. And it was a story that was published in the New York Times and it was primarily about um, rats in the in the um, USA region, but um, it piqued my interest for several um, reasons, Mark. Some of the quotes in it um, I found quite amusing there, um, and it was um, many of the quotes were from Bobby Corrigan, who is an urban rodentologist, Mark. I, d- I didn't know there was such a yes. profession. Well, he has both a master's degree and a PhD in rodent pest management, Mark. Um, so I wonder what the PhD in pest management is. You just learn all the different ways you can kill rats, Mark. Um, so he was concerned about that there are certain colonies of rats, especially in New York, that have been dependent on restaurants' nightly trash for hundreds of generations. And... The same thing has been happening in other regions like New Orleans and, and other um, famous sort of regions where there's lots of restaurants and small alleyways. So all the rats are coming out, Mark, because they're not being fed anymore because of the shutdown um, with with um, with the COVID um, problem. So the rats are becoming crazy. They're becoming um, – and, and Dr Corrigan, um, who has the PhD um, in pest management, said pest control professionals in the city have sent him photos of rodent cannibalisation and slaughter. They go into war with each other, eating each other's young in some populations and battling each other for food. So it's a war out there, Mark. Um, the rats that live and eat in residential blocks um, haven't noticed bit of difference during the uh, have probably haven't noticed um in the ones in the residential areas but ones in those areas where all the all the um cafes and restaurants are, are struggling because they're hungry mark um so they're out there so he's probably um one of the businesses that is um thriving booming. 
Yes. So uh, this is so this this next part of the article strikes me as paradoxical. The CDC recommended sealing access to homes and businesses, removing debris and keeping garbage tightly in tightly covered bins, um, removing pet and bird food from yards. That that takes more food away from. Isn't that going to make them angrier? Yes, that's right. And uh, and I like the the, the recommendation. Um, look at the base of your door. Get out a ruler to see if there's a space below the door. If it's half an inch or more, it will let them in. So you need to block your doors, Mark. Um, shut it all down. Shut yourself away and, and keep away from the rampaging rats. So there you go. That's my story. But it's a good intro, I think, to our main topic this week, which is a condition that we see in, in our pet, pet rats that we're going to talk about, and that is um, red urine in rats, Mark. Europorphyria. Yes, well, let's just say it's um, it could be hematuria. It could be um, <laughs> pseudohematuria, which is what we're going to talk about. Um, and I oh, think that's I one of the first. I inadvertently stole the punchline. You've um, you've finished the whole um, <laughs> the whole main topic already, Mark. Um, you, we are going a bit crazy. Yeah, so I think the first first point we need to make, especially for those of us who don't see rats too often is we need to identify, regardless of what the client says, is that red liquid animating from the rat urine or not? And how do we go about doing that, Mark? Well, it has to do with <laughs> fluorescence. And, um, and so the woods lamp is the weapon of choice in my practice. Um, and I always, because I've been asked this question by the recent graduates and I always get it back to front. So you setting me up with it right now is going to put me on the spot. And I'm saying it's a, toy, a coin toss, but um, I would have thought that blood does not fluoresce and porphyrins do under ultraviolet light. I think you've... Done well there, Mark. Um, although potentially not all of them do fluoresce there. Um, so the other option you have is to grab some of that, well, really quiz the client about, you know, um, getting back to basics, you know, thinking you, you've got a bit of fluid, red-looking fluid coming out of the rat. Um, which end does it come from? Is it coming from the front end or the back end? And, and sometimes the owner may think it may be coming from the front end and it, it, possibly just because the rat's over-grooming itself and it does have a, a urinary issue, for instance, and it's grooming that backside and it's getting the red material over its um, snout and its face. So we need to sort of try and differentiate things. Um, and what other orifices can it come from, Mark? It, it, it may be urinary tract. It may be reproductive tract. It may be gastrointestinal tract if we're looking at the back end of the animal and grabbing some of that um, fluid or liquid, um, looking under the microscope, um, checking with your wood slamp, but also looking under the microscope. And if we have red blood cells in there, then by definition we've, um, we have some um, hematuria is probably going on there, Mark, or at least some red blood cells in there. So that's what I tend to recommend to to students when they're trying to differentiate whether or not um, it is is blood in that um, in that sample there. Um, so what do we do then, Mark? If we think that um, it, it it is um, let's let's say it is it is it does have red blood cells in there. How do we start um, narrowing things down? What's our workup for this case? Wow. Well, um, 
<laughs> I would, um, as uh, despite. I'm really putting you on the spot tonight, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, you are, but that's okay. That's the nature of this. Uh, the the repartee that we develop is often uh, given its frisson, its little bit of energy from me not knowing any of the answers to the questions you ask. Um, and so tonight should not be any different than any other time. Um, I liked the way that you drew me back to the beginning, that uh, we've got to do things, um, uh, start with the basics, that once we have made the decision that we've got uh, some uh, red cells or not, um, whether they're fluorescing or not, whether we've looked at them under the microscope, um, then we start to uh, review our physical exam findings and uh, and. Um, you know, make sure that we do a thorough palpation, make sure that uh, we look at the rat at a distance to see if it's straining or moving in strange ways. Um, we look for the typical sorts of signs for um, uh, urinary tract infections or for uh, something that's coming from the reproductive tract. Um, and we uh, consider taking some blood, um, doing... yes. And I think you're spot on with looking for those signs and um, if there's strain in there. And a, and a fair number of these, I'd be interested in your comments or thoughts on this, Mark. I think a large percentage of these ones where they are, they're straining, they've got a bit of strangurea there, they're sore, um, they're, they're looking a bit hunched up and they're not happy rats. Um, a, a large percentage of the ones that I see um, personally are... Uh, uh, do have urinary tract infections um, that may have an underlying condition as well, but we do have a um, a urinary problem there. Um, do you find that most of these are um, urinary urinary related, Mark? Most of. <laughs> Yes, I find yes. that, um, well, as you said, that um, uh, when they adopt those more painful body positions, when they're straining to go, um, uh, when they're uh, searching around, um, they'll often behave differently in their enclosure because they are looking for places to urinate frequently, um, then the, those animals are more likely to have some, some association with urinary tract inflammation and often an infection. That's our experience for sure. Yes. So, yeah, my takeaway with that, it was my, my poor effort in trying to sort of summarise the fact that a lot of these are urinary um, infections and and associated conditions when you do see or you confirm that we do have a, a haematuria or, and, um, in, in these rats, Mark. And, but there are some certain other conditions that can be can be involved with that um, blood in that um, from that backside area, and that's where doing that ideal workup with them. And, and sure, um, a reasonable number of clients may may decline the workup there. But priority wise, as you mentioned there, it's it's not only looking at the urine; it's a physical exam, obviously number one, trying to get a bit of urine if we think it is related to the urinary tract there. And um, the good news there is a fair percentage of rats will. Um, will urinate if you just um, stress them out a little bit, lift them up off the table is what I tend to do. So not 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 too not too not too um, torturous um, to them, but um, just lifting them off the table, you can often get them to drop a few um, little little um, drops of the, um, urine there that you can check there, um, and if if that's clear, and often there you can palpate the ones where they do have these chronic urinary infections and cystitis going on there. Those bladders can get really thickened, can't they, Mark? I um, feel a lot that they're just really 
really painful and really thick in bladders that you can palpate quite readily. Do you find that? Uh, we've had, I distinctly remember a post-mortem on uh, one of the rats that um, was in a lot of trouble and I thought it would have had the what I could palpate was such a hard, nuggety little bit of stuff that I thought it was a tumour. Uh, but when we did open the rat up, it was a tightly constricted and thick-walled, um, you know, more more just over a centimetre thick wall of the, um, of the bladder. And um, so they can be chronically inflamed. And dramatic, and some of those are very difficult to deal with. Actually, if you want to chat about what you did with that one, but those chronic ones, it, it's oh, it's really palliative care, I think, for a fair number of those. Once they get to that sort of stage, it's trying to see if there's any underlying other related conditions like renal issues, et cetera, or, or urolithiasis going on there But um, and, and controlling the secondary um infectious process but it's really just pain relief isn't it mark and anti-inflammatories with those is that what you go with those ones it's certainly the focus of um you know that because they are exceedingly uncomfortable and so analgesia and uh um and uh what we often use um you know in cats there's a, a process of using pentasan uh, polysulfate to um, to treat the idiopathic cystitis, um, but um, uh, when we have because I think they're so advanced by the time we get to see them, I've had no luck with um, pentasan in rats. Is it something that you've tried, Brendan? Yes, definitely. It's great that you mentioned that particular product. Yes, I certainly have tried it, and I think exactly the same. The more advanced ones, I think it has very little um, effect on them but the ones that might be early on and, and not at that stage where they have lots of lots of um, thickened bladder etc that um, they're the ones that I'd still consider using and uh, anecdotally some of them do seem to respond to that um, with the less severe cases with them um, otherwise it's filling them for the pain relief and that Again, it varies on which ones individual animals respond to initially. I'm assuming everything else is okay. We'd start them on a non-steroidal like meloxicam um, if it's appropriate and we haven't got underlying you know, renal failure, um, for instance. And it might be then adding other, doing our usual a multimodal analgesic um methods with them and that would include anything from um some of them do I, I find some of them do respond to tramadol mark um some doesn't do anything um and then our other products like our buprenorphine and those sorts of things and even um our um i've gone blank our um our um, nerve pain um, um medication which is what's the name of it i've gone blank um uh, gabapentin Gabapentin, there we go. Um, so compounding up gabapentin, for instance, with them. Um, anything else you, off the top of your head you you find seems to work with some of these for controlling the, the discomfort in them? Well, like you, I've given those all those medications a, a trial in these cases. I've got to say that my experience with um, tramadol in rats has been very disappointing. First of all, because I struggle to – the liquid is very bitter tasting and it creates a – a difficult circumstance for the owners to medicate; they feel uncomfortable. But I can't say that um, that I um, that I do detect um, changes with that drug when I am able to get it in. And so I usually am leaping towards the transmucosal opiates um, to try and provide that pain relief. Yes, 
And getting back to our sort of workup on these, you mentioned um, doing uh, full blood exams, um, radiographs or ultrasound as the other 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 modalities we can do with them. And I do recommend with with all these cases look in for underlying conditions. So um, not just with this particular syndrome or or series of problems in rats but with any species we tend to get a bit blinkered don't we and just concentrate on the obvious in front of us and not look for other other health issues sitting there in the background and that's where i'm um, recommending full or a general blood screen is is um worthwhile um with with well with all of them ideally um there and it's amazing what um what you sometimes pick up with the bloods um you're about to say something else mate I was just no. going to, yeah, no, no, I, I was going to ask you about ultrasound. You're my ultrasound god when it comes to uh, unusual and exotic pets. And um, I've I've loved, I've, more and more frequently I'm sticking the probe on um, our unusual and exotic pets, but I struggle a little bit uh, to always distinguish um, normal from abnormal anatomy because obviously I don't do it frequently enough. And these cases I always thought would be the ideal thing to, you know, um, to gain some experience. And, and because the changes are often profound, I thought they'd be good. But I, even ultrasound in my hand hasn't been particularly useful um, in these cases. I was interested in your opinion. I'm hopeless at ultrasound, so I don't know where you got that from. Absolutely hopeless. Um, I tend to handball most of my ultrasounds to people who are good at doing ultrasound, so we farm them out. Um, so it is something I've got to do. And I can't remember the last rate I ultrasounded, Mark. Um, so I am not the ultrasound god, that is for sure. But, yes, I think it can be frustrating with some of these sort of techniques Um like ultrasound in with 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 some um, some of these cases, Mark, and I, and perhaps it is not you, and it's just um, this particular condition in our little ratties is is a difficult one to to get a lot of good information from an ultrasound with them. Um, so other conditions that we see with these, Mark, um, apart from our urinary tract infections and our and our um, urolithiasis type conditions, um, um, I did mention the. Um, potentially underlying in renal compromise with them, and that's where doing our bloods and our full urinalysis is worthwhile. And ideally, we're sending off for a culture and sensitivity too, if we're suspecting that um, urinary infection there. Um, neoplasia, Mark. Do you see many um, neoplastic conditions of the of the well, the urinary tract um, in these rats? No, well, like I was saying before, I, I've come across at least one where I thought it was I was going to. Uh, wrap one up, but um, but I don't see many uh, tumours of the bladder or urethra. Um, I think it is more common in the cases that I see that we'll see problems in the kidneys, um, and there's been a couple of times where we've identified problems with the kidneys and then gone on to realise that it was a neoplastic process compromising the function of the kidneys rather than them failing of their own accord. But um, no, I can't tell you I've seen a lot of cancers of the bladder of rats. Yes, ditto with me and apologies for my cough there on, on air, um, which I presume you heard. Um, I'm not going to go into edit that out. Um, I like it raw, Mark, and I can't be bothered um, re-editing everything, so we'll leave that in. Yes, um, 
it's always something I have on the list there, neoplasia with these. But, yeah, I think it's, in my my experience, it's rare um, with them. Um, the only other condition I'd like to mention is that we occasionally see, so it's certainly unusual if not rare, is an, a uterine aneurysm with these, Mark. Um, so it's a rat that has bleeding. Um, I see it more frequently, still unusual to rare in rabbits and guinea pigs mark where an owner reports that the owners pass uh, the, the the patient is pass, passing frank blood so it's passing a big big lot of fresh obvious blood um, and or um, sometimes some clots with it um, I put a uterine aneurysm on the list of, of the differential with them um, have you seen any of those not in rats but as you say we've got a couple of um, rabbits that we've worked up extensively and concluded that the frank blood was almost certainly from a an aneurysm yes um and i don't know whether there's any others that um have we missed anything as far as um potential um or common causes with some um, red oh, urine about, in rats i want your complete and utter list of plants that produce pseudo hematuria well it's all the ones that cause red urine mark that's <laughs> the answer to that. No, there's not. Well, it's. I think it's like when you ask, when clients ask me, um, tell me which. Um, if they, a rabbit client will say to me, I'd get this once a month or so. Um, tell me all the low or high calcium yes. foods that I can or cannot feed my rabbit, and we'd be chatting to this client about. Well, most likely to be a rabbit that we're chatting to them about with chronic renal failure and the pros and cons of potentially limiting um, calcium intake. And my bottom line is I, I actually don't bother recommending doing that. That's my my take on it, Mark. Um, and you look up the lists even in textbooks and, and published, um, published peer review um, papers, Mark, and uh, they'll be opposing lists of, of which... Um, which um, particular plant materials are, are um, high calcium or medium calcium or low calcium. So I view it a little bit like that, Mark. Um, I, I'd say um, go away, um, <laughs> have a look yourself, um, go and see Dr. <laughs> Google and um, stop bothering me. <laughs> um, do you have a list that you give to clients? Well, it, it's it's just the usual sort of carotene containing plants um uh, yes, plant parts. carotenoids carotenes yes um uh, carrots beets and and um you know reddish berries um dragon fruit those, those sorts of things are known have been had have definitely been shown in particular examples to cause a false red pigment arising from the plant to be excreted in the urine and and produce reddish colored urine and i think the key with Virtually all of those, isn't it? it? It's it's that history of the animal and the fact that the vast majority, if not ninety nine percent of those rats, will not be unwell. They won't be straining. They they and the owner will just say, "Look, it's passing some red, red um, suspect urine or red um, fluid out of it," and and they're panicking with it. So it's sort of the equivalent of the the porphyrin stain with the red tears that we see, the chromodacaria that we see with rats and the owner is panicking, saying my rat is bleeding from its eyes or it's bleeding from its nose or it's got blood, it's bleeding from its front feet and it's just a, a sign of a, a rat that's perhaps a little bit stressed and it's pro excess production of those um, 
porphyrin pigments. Stressed, um, stressed by the person opening its eyes wide and looking at its nose looking for, putting its feet up looking all the time. For, looking for where it's cut itself, yes. Yes. So um, I think that's the, the key factor with it, you know, um, really, really quizzing the client. And if, if the animal seems unwell in any way, then, um, then we start to um, think very much so that it is probably not our red pigments causing um, red urine mark. Now, Brendan, tell me quickly before we finish up, have you, we've cultured some of these. Uh, what bugs have you seen and have which antibiotics would be sort of your first jump to? Um, uh, uh, yeah, I must admit we don't. I, I get some frustrating culture results. I don't do as many cultures as I'd like to or my clients won't let me do as many as I, I should be pushing it a bit more and I get some 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 where they don't culture anything and others where they get some, um, um, you know, a, a, a vague contaminant um, there as well, Mark. So I'm probably not the best person to ask with that. As far as what what we end up choosing, um, um, majority of the time it would be either um, trimethoprim sulfur or our enrofloxacin is sort of the um, um, antibiotic of choice initially. Mark, what about yourself? Exactly the same, Brendan. It's... Um, uh, uh, probably trimethoprim sulfur is our <laughs> first cab off the rank, and um, and if we are able to identify um, gram negative rods, um, then we probably are heading towards a, a, a dose of enrofloxacin. Oh, turn myself off, man. That's a really good point there, Mark. Um, perhaps we should be doing more um, simple little preps in house um, and staining them up. And looking to see what sort of um, whether we have um, gram, gram negative or gram positive rods or cocky, and that will um, point us towards um, whether we need to start panicking and putting them on a broader spectrum um, medication or not. Um, so yes, I must do more of that. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Any other final thoughts before we leave, Mark? We've been a bit all over the place. We have been all over the shop. So last thing, I don't think yes. I don't think there's any of this. But um, is there is is there a way to prevent it, Brendan? What do you do to to anticipate that it might happen in rats? Is there predisposing factors we can manage? Don't own a rat. <laughs> um, apart from that, well. I don't think so. Um, I think with a fair percentage of these, and unless it's terrible husbandry, and um, we do know that so many of our conditions in an unusual pet are related to inadequate or inappropriate husbandry, so perhaps there's a factor of that lot, um, um, sitting there in the background with, with some of these, um, and I'm sure there is. Um, so they're debilitated and their immune system's knocked around and they're getting um, opportunistic infections. Um, I don't think there's much much more or poor poor cleaning, for instance, poor, poor of the enclosure, poor ventilation um, in the enclosure. Um, I don't think that perhaps inbreeding as well um, because we, we have a few clients who like to go out rescuing um, rats from hoarders um and some of the some of them are bred for multiple generations very inbred animals and not only do they have these sorts of conditions they've they've all got pretty severe respiratory disease going on there as well um are there anything you can think of mark that we can do prevention wise with them the only other one i would mention was is your old favorite that um i think a uh you know an inert uninterested um inactive rat is um 
is more prone to these problems than one that has significant environmental enrichment. And I find um, it as a byproduct of stimulating a discussion about environmental enrichment with the the client, that it's almost like hygiene follows suit, um, that they do clean up more when they've gone to the trouble of um, enhancing the environment. So, um, yeah, asking the clients to uh, think of ways they can enrich the the uh, the mental stimulation and environment of the rats a good one I think too. Yes, and speaking of mental stimulation, hopefully our podcast this week wasn't um, too unstimulating, and um, we will talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.